let's, uh, w- this morning I'd like to begin by uh, reading scripture, so if, uh, if you are able, if you will stand with me with the reading of God's word, we'll be in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 19 through 22. Ruth 1, 19 through 22. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I'd, uh, I'd like to begin this morning but with a word of prayer, as I usually do after the reading of God's Word. Let's, let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we uh, spend these few moments in your Word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit might be present in power, just as the Holy Spirit was present in the writing of this Word. And so, Lord, as, as we spend time with you, we pray that uh, we will not leave the same as when we came in because of your Holy Spirit's work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, let me just begin by saying that my wife Lynn and I are very grateful to your elders and to our Lord for the opportunity to serve each of you during this uh, interim period of time as uh, we together prepare ourselves and our community for the calling of a new pastor. My my recent training, by the way, uh, if you're wondering why they would select me, is... uh, I've been trained as an intentional interim, working uh, with Farner Prez here just most recently uh, in, in intentional ministry. And so uh, I hope uh, to, uh, uh, as we go along, you'll learn more about that. And one of the things that uh, I especially uh, am encouraged to do and I really love doing is to meet with uh, any of the congregation members or regular attenders who, who are willing to meet with me and uh, just to tell me your heart, your gifting, and uh, uh, also where you feel uh, the Lord is working at Parkway and uh, where the needs might be at Parkway as well. So uh, uh, over the next few weeks, uh, next month, month and a half, uh, I would love to meet you, get to know you a little bit, uh, and get to know those, those aspects and burdens upon your heart. And also, especially for me, I, I like to p- keep everyone in prayer, so I, that helps me get to know where your prayer concerns are. So, uh, uh, so I, I hope you'll have a chance to call Donna and just schedule a time uh, to meet with me, and uh, I look forward to that. Now, I'd like to take you this morning to the book of Ruth. This is, uh, by the way, the book where I cut my teeth in the language of biblical Hebrew, and it's a place where I often return myself. Why, uh, you might ask, it seems like a simple little book. It shouldn't have a whole lot to say to us today, but I think it does. And uh, and so often we read the Bible, and we look at these uh, great heroes of the Bible, and uh, who are in powerful and key positions throughout history, and it makes us feel a little like... uh, the two cows 
who were peacefully grazing in a field when a milk truck passed on the road with its sign proudly announcing, Milk, homogenized, pasteurized, vitamin-enriched. And after the two cows thought about it for a while, one cow says to the other, Sort of makes a girl feel inadequate, doesn't it? (laughs) So when we read about Moses and Abraham and Paul and these great leaders of faith, so too we often feel like we are inadequate. But the book of Ruth, well, that's just a book about ordinary people doing ordinary things, but who exemplify the faithfulness that God requires of us everyday people. So, as I've introduced it that way, let me just give you a little bit of the major theme of the book. You know, often ancient Hebrews often emphasized the theme of a book by repeating a particular word over and over again. And that word in this little book is chesed. That's right. You can say it as chesed, but I want you to remember that word, chesed. And uh, it's most often translated into English as faithfulness and has the idea of loving-kindness. The Old Testament authors often referred to God as being chesed. And so the clear picture being painted for us in this book is that these people are acting in chesed ways, faithful ways. What's on display here in the actions and words of Naomi is a transparency and honesty that is so often so rare. See, uh, The human problem is this, as one author once put it, like cuttlefish we conceal ourselves, we darken the atmosphere in which we move, we are not transparent. You see, the cuttlefish lacks the defenses of other fish, its speed, size, shells, or poisonous spines. And so to protect itself, it pours out a dark, inky liquid as it moves. It safely hides from predators behind that camouflage. And we are like the cuttlefish. See, his point was that we humans hide ourselves behind a happy, cheerful demeanor. We act as if everything in our lives is just fine. We have no problems. We put on a happy face in whatever circumstances we might find ourselves. And I uh, have found this to be even more true in the South. It is, it is southern niceness to present a cheery face wherever we are, isn't it? We can wrap ourselves in, in, same, in some packaging, these same packages every day, nice clothes, big smile, friendly demeanor, yet still be less than what we appear to be. You know, in nearly all reported suicides and suicide attempts, there are uh, those who are close family and friends who report that they thought that that person had everything pretty well together. Yet inside, something was clearly desperately wrong. You see, most of us do this as a protective technique, don't we? Just like that cuttlefish. We hide behind the masks that we design so that uh, we think others ultimately cannot hurt us. For many, this habit might have come early as we opened up ourselves to someone and found ourselves betrayed. And so we made a pact with ourselves not to open up and be vulnerable to others again. For some of us, especially uh, you men here this morning, we've been taught that we must be tough and strong, not letting others see our hurts and pains. That to be a man 
means to be able to hide our emotions and hurts and simply act as if everything is all right. For others of us, we cram everything deep inside so that we won't be perceived as weak. And for still others, we do this so that we can hide the monsters that lurk within. We think that we can control them that way. See, we fear that if we were to talk about our feelings and pains, we might let out something that we could never control. As Mark Twain once put it, we are like the moon. We have a dark side we don't want anyone to see. And yet for that person, their defense mechanism and cramming everything and hiding only serves to increase the problem. And in the end, the monster comes out, having grown beyond one's control because they could never find the courage and strength to be open and honest with themselves, to be open and honest with God and with others. Unfortunately, over the years, I've found this to be especially true of Christian leaders and pastors. Years ago, uh, John Fisher wrote a song that I think gets to the heart of this problem. It was entitled, Evangelical Veil Productions. Here's the song. Evangelical Veil Productions, pick one up now at quite a reduction. Got all kinds of shapes and sizes, introductory bonus prizes. Special quality, one-way see-through. You can see them, but they can't see you. Never have to show yourself again. And just released a Moses model. Comes with shine in a plastic bottle. It makes you look like you've just seen the Lord. Just one daily application, and you'll fool the congregation. Guaranteed to last the whole week through. You know, I, I think in some ways this is a bigger problem for evangelical Christians than it is for the world. So uh, let's see what God's word has to say about chesed, faithfulness, in these verses. See, we read in verse 19, if you're following along in your Bibles, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? It's a wonderful picture of a homecoming. The term for stirred here in the Hebrew gives us this vivid picture of what's going on. It means to resound or echo. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5, the term is used for the joy that echoed at the return of the Ark of the Covenant. See, they came to see this surprising return that no one expected. And they probably weren't prepared for the response that they got. See, the earlier parts of this chapter picture for us other aspects of faithfulness. In the beginning, we had Naomi and her husband and two sons wandering in an enemy land, living on the most basic subsistence level. Soon her husband dies, and then both her recently married sons die as well. Naomi had left Bethlehem a woman, A woman who in her culture had those things that give her life meaning and value. She was married and had the security of an honored and respected family. She had two sons, which gives a woman in that culture a good reputation and value. But now she returns with both of those things gone. We read her response there in verses 20 and 21. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Marah 
because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Excuse me. Here we have her pain-filled cries as she denies the very meaning of her own name, which meant pleasant, as you probably have as a footnote in your Bible. Instead, she tells them that she desires to be referred to as Marra. It's, by the way, the same term in, the, in Arabic, the language that I grew up speaking, Marra. Can, you can almost feel the bitterness on your tongue when you say it. After losing all that gives meaning to a woman in her culture, she truly felt empty and bitter, and she lets it all loose to her hometown. Nothing is held back. Here they're excited to see someone, and all of a sudden the pain comes out. It's a very rare person that is transparent, honest, and open with their emotional pain this way. It was the very meaning of her name which seemed to mock her situation, and so she opened up and let them know. You know, sadly, in most Christian cultures, this is very rare today. Very rarely are we so honest and transparent with ourselves, with God, and with others. We tend to deny our own pains, whitewash them with masks of hypocrisy. Now, my oldest son, Abraham, who is uh, now 24, when he was young, he always cried at the drop of a hat. Every little pain or difficulty, every slight discomfort was an excuse for crying out as if he was dying. It took, me, it took my wife and I many years and many lessons for him to finally be able to control his eruptions. I had to teach him to respond properly to the severity of the situation. But I think that we sometimes take this kind of maturity too far, especially as men. See, men are seen as weak if they cry or display any emotions of pain and sadness. We seem to put on a happy or a stern face with whatever comes. In fact, uh, for many, it would seem unspiritual not to have a happy face on everything. Aren't we taught to count it all joy and rejoice in all circumstances? Somehow we've interpreted that as Christians shouldn't feel any pain nor show it. All we have done really is to deny our own pains and whitewash them, rather than deal with our own pains and struggles and temptations and difficulties and weaknesses and the tragedies in life. Instead, we hide and bury them, then cover them up with a cheery disposition. Let me suggest that instead, that true faithfulness calls us to be open and honest, and forthright, and transparent, dealing with the pain and suffering that is a part of each one of our lives. But then also to balance that with the joys that come from the eternal gifts we have in Jesus Christ. See, one does not negate the other, but rather both go together, and both show true maturity and true faithfulness. It's funny, uh, As I uh, prepared for this sermon, I noticed that many preachers and commentators referring to this passage assume that Naomi is showing a lack of faith and understanding as she blames God for her situation. 
The attitude of Naomi's for some of us sounds extremely frightening. How can someone talk to and about God like that, we think? Don't you know that God is loving, caring, and all-powerful and all-knowing? To say something like that to God sounds a bit blasphemous to us. See, instead of the pious platitudes that are often on my lips and your lips about God, we hear her outburst against and to God. Naomi blamed God for her disappointment. She blamed Shaddai for her bitterness. The term Shaddai is used here for God, rightly indicating that God God is sovereign, that he is the cosmic ruler of all creation. Job uses the same term to indicate God's greatness and the mysteriousness of God. Ezekiel uses the term when he speaks of the terror of his voice. Here, Naomi expects Shaddai to care for her and her family needs. Yet, Shaddai had not protected her family or met their needs. Of course, she is bitter. Who wouldn't be bitter? And in the moments of our transparency and honesty with ourselves, we must admit that we too have sometimes felt bitter at God. God, we want to yell out, You were supposed to be protecting me and my family. You were supposed to be providing for us. What have you brought to me? We've all felt let down by God at times. Some of us have prayed for family members and friends to come to salvation. We've seen nothing. Others of us have lain in hospital beds racked with pain and to all appearances God has ignored our anguish and cries for healing. Still others of us have tragically lost loved ones in the prime of life. My guess is that for some of you today, you felt let down by God for the recent, recent occurrences here at Parkway. We too want to yell out to God that he blew it. He let us down. But most of us just don't feel comfortable doing that with God or with others. I think this is a very important truth that Naomi is teaching us here. It's all right to admit that we're disappointed with God. You see, to do so is an expression of our faithfulness. It's an expression of chesed. It shows that we want an open and honest relationship with the living God. She also teaches us that it's all right to express our disappointments and pains with each other. Living a life that is honest with ourselves, with God, and with others. See, Naomi just like Jeremiah and Job and the psalmist, stood open and honest before God and others in their suffering. Naomi teaches us much about what it means to be a faithful Christian in a faithful community. See, previously Ruth had modeled extreme devotion, but here Naomi models utter honesty. It's this kind of honesty and transparency that's required in any healthy marriage or any other strong, meaningful relationship. And it is vital for every Christian as we seek to share our faith with others. You know, we need to be honest and transparent about our own sinfulness and weaknesses with others, even as we proclaim the grace and forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. In my own experiences in sharing my faith, I can tell you that is absolutely true. 
when I share from my weaknesses and my failures the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ. That is when I see the strongest effect in people's lives. And during this interim time, as we continue to deal with our own hurts, pain, and disappointments with the past, we must be willing to be honest and transparent. It is when we see God's healing and care most vividly. It's when we're dealing with that pain, when we realize how truly faithful God is, even in the midst of our own unfaithfulness and weaknesses. Alexander Solzhenitsyn writes in, uh, about an event that happened in 1938 in one of my favorite books, The Gulag Archipelago. It's a hard read if you've not read it, but I do recommend it. A district party conference was underway in Moscow, and it was presided over by a new secretary of the district party committee, replacing one who was recently arrested. At the conclusion of the conference, a a tribute to Comrade Stalin was called for. Of course, everyone stood up, the hall echoed with stormy applause, rising to an ovation for three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. The stormy applause rising continued. That's what I was expecting this morning. I only got a brief one. But... Now, at this point, palms were getting sore. Raised arms were already aching. It was becoming insufferably silly, even to those who adored Stalin. However, who would dare to be the first to stop? The district party party, uh, leader could have done it. He was standing on the platform, and it was he who had called for the ovation. But he was a newcomer. He'd taken the place of a man who'd just been arrested. He was afraid. So the applause went on. Six, seven, eight minutes. Well, they couldn't stop now till they collapsed with heart attacks. The director of the local paper factory was standing at the front with the presidium, and he was aware of all this falsity and phoniness about all this, but he kept on applauding. Nine minutes, ten In anguish, he watched the secretary of the district party committee, but he knew he wouldn't stop. Insanity to the last man with make-believe enthusiasm on their faces, looking at each other with faint hope, the district leaders were just going to go on and on, applauding till they fell where they stood, till they were carried out of the hall on stretchers. And even then, those who were left wouldn't falter. Then after 11 minutes, The director of the paper factory assumed a business-like expression and sat down in his seat. And oh, what a miracle took place! Where had the indescribable enthusiasm gone? To a man, everyone else stopped dead and sat down. They'd been saved. That, however, was how they discovered who the independent people were. And that was how they went about eliminating them. That same night, that factory director was arrested. They easily pasted 10 years on him on the pretext of something quite different. But after he'd signed the final document of the interrogation, his interrogator reminded him, don't ever be the first to stop applauding. You know, we too are often filled with fear of what others might perceive about us or think of us. And so, too, we often decide not to stop applauding in our own lives. 
covering up our pains, hiding our shame and guilt, our suffering and our disappointments until they begin to destroy us within and threaten our peace of mind, our sense of real joy in Jesus our Lord, and sometimes even our sanity. At uh, the uh, prime timers lunch gathering this last Friday, Gene brought a young man who had gone through a biblically-based alcohol and drug recovery program. And the main message was that the beginning of God's healing, vitality, and reconciliation comes when we are broken to the point when we realize our daily need for Jesus. So too, the pivot point in the book of Ruth comes at this point, when Naomi pours out her needs, her brokenness, and disappointments with God. And I think that's the same as true for us. We can't allow God to do his healing in our disappointments and pain until we reach that point when we realize that we can be honest. We can be forthright and genuine and transparent with God and others. The story is told about the baptism of King Angus by St. Patrick in the middle of the 5th century. It was sometime during the baptism that St. Patrick leaned on his sharp-pointed staff and inadvertently stabbed the king in the foot. After the baptism was over, St. Patrick glanced down and noticed the blood that was all over the floor was coming from the foot of the king. He realized what he'd done, and he begged the king to forgive him. Then he said this, Why did you suffer this pain in silence? The king replied, I thought it was part of the ritual. (laughs) How about you today? Have you come to believe that being a mature Christian means suffering our pains alone and in silence? The veils of pride and hypocrisy come in lots of forms, all worn out of fear to hide the fading glory of our bodies and our minds, a fear to hide our shame and guilt. All of us have struggled at one time or another in our new life in Christ. Many of us have struggled with wearing a veil of self-control over an anxious spirit, a veil of humility over a prideful heart, a veil of quietness over our frustration and anger, a veil of defensiveness over our failures, or veils of wealth, skills, and family name over our personal inadequacies. Yet as New Covenant Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to choose to ask ourselves and the Lord, what veils are we wearing today so that our brothers and sisters think we are competent and confident when we are struggling? So let me urge you, my, my dear new friends, make transparency a habit. If you remember nothing else from this message, I want you to hear this. Transparency pays God the ultimate compliment. It shows that you really and truly trust him. It is an act of faithfulness. Let's pray together. Gracious and merciful Lord, 
on this uh, communion Sunday as we prepare our hearts to commune with you and to commune with our brothers and sisters here. We pray, Lord, that uh, the faithfulness that Naomi displayed in her transparency and honesty with herself, with you, and with others might be something that we learn to practice daily. That we might live together in love and in unity. Not because of phoniness, because, but because of real love and real concern for one another. Thank you, Lord, for the model that Naomi is. And we pray, Lord, that as your Holy Spirit does his work in our hearts, we might reflect that faithfulness more day by day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As uh, we come now to the time of the communion, as we commune together with our Lord Jesus Christ, I, uh, I want to invite you to come this morning. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, I invite you to come. This is... Uh, this is not a Presbyterian table. This is not even a Parkway table. This is the Lord's table. And so we invite all those who have committed their life to Jesus Christ, who have said to Jesus, I trust you, and I come open-handed to you. We invite you to come, to come and to receive uh, this morning. And uh, if, uh, if you have not taken that step in your life, I just invite you to let it pass by. But if you have taken that step, I want you to share in the joy of Jesus Christ at the communion table with us this morning. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus.